Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. Two years ago this month, America was embroiled in racial and social justice protests, kicked off by the unfortunate and tragic murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis by a police officer. Higher education, like so many other industries, took the opportunity to look inward and ask, how are we doing when it comes to racial and gender equity? For the president of the West Coast Conference and Commissioner Gloria Navarez, this was a time that needed more than hand-wringing and platitudes. It required the resolve to do better. One area they chose to hold themselves to a higher standard was in diversifying the hiring of coaches, staff, and administrators on their campuses. Thus, the Russell Rule was born. I invited Navarez and the University of San Diego's President James T. Harris to join me on the podcast today to talk about the recently released data on their two-year-old initiative and measuring how effective they've been in matching the method to the message. Welcome to the podcast, Gloria and Jim. Hi there. Thank you so much, Dr. Weaver. Really uh, happy to be with you today. Hi, Dr. Weaver. Thank you for having us. Glad to have you both. This is such a great topic. I'm so thrilled that uh, we can talk about it because you're one year into this, something that the conference, the West Coast Conference calls the Russell Rule. Gloria, you and the commissioner, as the commissioner and the presidents work together to set things like bylaws, finances, and governance of the whole conference. For most boards, that's a very full place, but you and your colleagues decide to go one step further with the Russell Rule. Tell us about the origins of this idea and were there any specific incidents that spurred this action? In fact, there was. Uh, the murder of George Floyd happened to be the week prior to our league-wide meetings in the summer. And so we immediately reshuffled the agenda to put the social justice issues at the top because our membership really wanted to talk about, you know, what was happening in the nation and how that impacted the athletes we serve. So in those conversations, did you talk about um, all kinds of ideas around social justice or did the, as we call it in the NFL, the Rooney rule, which has become the Russell rule, did that rise to the surface early in your conversations? Um, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about what it means to serve our student athletes. And at the time, a lot of organizations and leaders were putting out statements of support. And I heard from our president's group that they wanted to do something that had meaningful and lasting impact because we were doing all the statements and all the education. Um, but they, they really wanted to one step further, and I had the concept of the hiring commitment in the back of my mind. Um, so when we started talking about it, the group just jumped on onto the concept, and and really it, it took off from there. Jim, you've had a long history in higher education in some significant leadership roles, including seven years as president at the University of San Diego and thirteen years as president at Widener University in Pennsylvania. What was your thinking on this topic? What, how did the board discussion evolve to implement this rule? Well, I thank you for the question, Dr. Weaver. I think the, we have to go back a little bit earlier than even 2020, and that was the board's, what we were looking for in a commissioner 
And I happened to be one of two presidents who served on that search committee. And it was front and center to us and very important that we have someone who had a shared commitment with the presidents to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we are seeking someone who would be the living embodiment of those values in our conference. In that we found, uh, well, through Gloria, we found exactly that. She has been the living embodiment of that. In addition to all the pieces, like you said uh, earlier, you know, you've got a, it's an incredible job to be a commissioner and to manage 10 presidents, let alone all the athletics and all the sports and the coaches and also obviously the athletic directors. And she has been a thought partner, a visionary uh, with regard to this, uh, the Russell rule. And the Russell rule, you know, we've had people say, well, it's just like the Rooney rule. Not quite. It's, I think it's far more complex than that. And that we're trying to do something deeper and more meaningful, obviously across more positions and uh, in the institutions. And the, the WCC has a group of presidents who, and we've had some change over the last three years. And uh, the presidents have become more diverse, which I think has been uh, terrific as well. But the presidents have a full commitment and work so well together. There's a level of cooperation here that I've not felt in all my years as a president. Among other presidents, even though we compete for students and we compete athletically, there is a, a deeply felt commitment to this work. And Gloria has kind of tapped into that and has uh, channeled it for us and helped us think about where do we go from here? And you think about what, what's happened. We implement the Russell rule and then we go into a global pan, you know, the global pandemic continues for two years. You know, in the spring of 2021, we put all of our fall sports into the spring for the most part. It was crazy in American athletics. And it's something that I think, uh, I'm really proud of the fact that the presidents and the athletic directors have worked with Glory. We've been able to be committed to this, this, uh, this important work. You know, and Jim, you you talk about the board and the commissioner working together. I don't think there's enough conversations about how important that working relationship is for functioning all in your conference, 10 collegiate athletics programs, but to add a layer on top of it of saying, okay, now we're going to, in, a, in essence, monitor compliance with a new rule. So how, Gloria, how do you monitor either compliance or um a, a sentiment towards this rule. Are there searches in athletics department that are exempt from this requirement for the Russell rule? How are you defining diverse candidates for each campus and each position? Well, it, it was no small task, um, largely because it was new space for us. But what isn't new space is monitoring compliance in our organization for following our handbook and rules. So um, you asked about, there are two exceptions. One, if you don't do a search. If you just elevate somebody internally, the, the hire is not subject to the Russell rule. And second, if you have a candidate that meets the Russell rule, make it to the finals, but then pulls themselves out. All other um, hires are subject to the hiring requirement. And much like everything else we do in the NCAA world, it's self-reporting. So every school reports, fills out a data sheet on all the hires during the last cycle. And then we run them through the president's council and address any questions or incidents of not meeting the Russell rule. And so, Jim, it, I don't know if that's come up yet or not, but if it did come up, how would you all manage that inside of the president's council then? 
uh, go a little bit deeper on that question. How will we manage what? Let, the let's say you've got somebody who's, who's clearly violated the spirit of the Russell rule and, and bypassed the normal hiring processes. How would the presidents handle that? Well, we had a conversation. There were a couple searches that did not, based on the data that Gloria had shared with us, and correct me if I'm wrong, Gloria, and we had that conversation candidly with the presidents. And it's, it wasn't a matter of oh, school X didn't follow the rule. It was, uh, what were the impediments? Can we learn from this? We really wanted to spend our first year or two figuring out how, how do we measure this? Uh, how do we hold each other accountable? And I felt that there was a very, very healthy and good conversation that we had. Is that how you view it, Gloria? Yeah, and I think, you know, year one, obviously there was a lot of learnings through the process. Everything that comes to the president's you know, has a whole scope of uh, ways they can look at it. So there's not a prescribed penalty, but we have a, a penalty structure that applies to everything from sportsmanship on the court to Russell rules. So first incident could, you know, no pattern of past behavior could be a private warning as you escalate public warning, reprimand, findings, penalty, suspension. So there's a whole gamut of things to choose from, not just for this policy, but for everything we do at the conference. And, and I think what is interesting about the discussion over time as we collect more data, you know, one school missing the Russell rule on several different hires is one type of issue. Several schools otherwise, you know, complying with the Russell rule, but missing maybe on a certain job, like an assistant golf coach or something implies a pipeline problem. That's a different issue. So we've left ourselves the flexibility to hold our members accountable, but also with the room to really look at, you know, what if we have a pipeline issue or, you know, uh, a barrier to application issue. So it's been a, it'll be a really interesting discussion, but I think we need to get two or three years in to figure out, you know, where really are the soft spots are. You know, one of the things that we've discovered is that I, if I recall our data, Gloria, and again, you can correct me, we had 12 searches, uh, and that would include athletic administrators and athletic coaches. It turned out that we 100% had met the Russell rule in terms of who we interviewed, and six of those 12 ended up being from diverse populations. What was interesting for me, particularly in the higher profile ones where I was involved, um, there were uh, there is a, a growing interest and willingness of diverse candidates to look at a place like USD or a school in the WCC because of this commitment. So they know that they're being looked at seriously, that we have a commitment to this work. So I think it just elevates the individual institutions work by having a being part of a conference and like-minded institutions that are trying to do it. And I, I really think we're setting a great example, thanks to our commissioner and the presidents, I think we're setting a really great example for other conferences to consider. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, <clears throat> two years post uh, the death and all the social justice energy around uh, George Floyd, this initiative can help uh, candidates frame the conference differently in their minds about your commitment. You're verbalizing your commitment to them. Um, is, there, is there any parameters on your definition of diversity? I mean, is the standard sort of the white male and everybody else outside of that is considered diverse. How do you how do you measure diversity? Uh, Gloria can answer that probably more detail, but my take on it is it depends on the sport. So, for example, if we were when we look for a, a, a men's basketball coach to interview a woman for that position, would fit the spirit of the 
of the Russell rule. Am I correct, Gloria? Yeah, and you know, that was a question we spent a lot of time on. And what we ended up doing is anchoring the definition on the NCAA data for division one uh, positions. So the NCAA has a whole database and they break it down by head coach, assistant coach, administrator. And right now we're hovering at a 50% benchmark. So if women's soccer is a great example, women do not yet represent 50% of the head coaches in women's soccer in division one. So right now, if you have a women's soccer coach position open and you uh, interview a woman that would satisfy the policy. Uh, and conversely, as Jim mentioned, women coaching men's sports is, you know, really um, a space that we haven't really populated <laughs> with women in the college world. So that would satisfy as well. Our question going forward, would, and we still haven't figured this out, we need to spend some more time here, is 50% threshold that we're aiming for of women over women's sports or men uh, coaching or leading men's sports. And, and that's a deeper philosophical question we need to spend some time on. But for now, we're, we're hovering around that 50%, both race, gender. And then, you know, a school could make an argument for a different type of diversity depending on their own geographic needs or makeup. So, for example, we are religious league. Um, in, the, in the case of BYU, someone not of the Mormon faith would probably constitute a religious diversity, hmm. but it would be a case-by-case -case basis. The school would make the argument, the presidents would review those types of hires, or right. sorry, interviewees. Got it, got it. Jim, I know I read through your, your five uh, task, force, task forces for your strategic planning on campus. And number four is the diversive and inclusive community, expanding sustainability initiatives, and enhancing your uh, USD's role as an anchor institution of scholarship, teaching, learning, and service. How does this help that initiative on your campus? I, I think it helps by saying we are not alone in this work. And I would say probably most of the schools in our conference, well, they're all committed to the Russell rule. They're all committed in their own way to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would say most are probably equally committed to work such as in the environment. And many of them are involved. For example, I know St. Mary's College, we have a relationship with them where they actually, we have a common donor and we have students who are working in the community to try to do some important work there. I would say my, my mindset has changed or my approach has changed a bit. And I think our conversations at the conference have helped. So it used to be for me, uh, Karen, maybe it was that that's just the way it was. And you know, I've been a president now, this is my 28th year at three different institutions, is that you, you think about how do you diversify the faculty and how do you diversify the student body? And it was around numbers, right? So if we have more applicants that are diverse, and, and again, diversity in the broadest sense of the word, um, and you can make some real strides there. And I think that just makes for a better learning environment when you have people of all these different faiths, backgrounds, uh, intersectionality, uh, identities, and so forth on your campus. It just, it just makes for a better learning environment. But what I think the George Floyd murder and the conversations we've had as presidents within the conference has really changed or broadened my perspective on this is it's not enough to say we're welcoming you to our campus. We're actually, we actually have to build it with you in mind. And I think that is a, uh, is a mental shift for me. So it isn't just about the numbers and the people. They're critical, absolutely critical. 
It's the support systems that you have in place. It's the traditions that you create that would be more inclusive. It's how you talk about yourself as a campus. It's about uh, the actions that you take. And to have it uh, in one of our most high profile areas, collegiate athletics, to have a commitment to this speaks volumes to the rest of the campus. And I, I have to say that I probably have failed as a president to tell more about the Russell Rule. I've, I've talked about it on campus in public forums, but to always come back to that and say, this is another example of how we're working with peer schools to do, to do this important work. Gloria, is there anything you wanna to add to that? What kinds of um, <clears throat> you know, messages is sending about who the WCC is? But, you know, I think Jim said it so well in that I just hope it, it lays out the welcome mat to candidates that are thinking about positions in our league that may not apply or might not think that they'd be seriously considered. Um, Jim related some stats for USD, but really those represented the trend in the league. We met the Russell Rule 81 of an 84 hires, and we actually had a higher through rate of 518 three, I think, hiring rate of the candidate in the pool because of the Russell rule. So we're not just checking a box here. We really are serious about diversifying and changing the faces of our athletic departments. Shifting gears a little bit, I'd be remiss, Gloria, not to ask you about the fast changing dynamics happening in Division One. As a trained lawyer who came up through the ranks as a compliance officer, among other titles, what is your analysis of where Division One is and what compliance might look like in the post-transformation era, both at the national level and the conference level? You know, you can say that in about two minutes. Like, I'm kidding, but, you know, it's a very, uh, it's a very broad question. But as a compliance person, I'm interested in your perspective. To your point, very, very broad. And, and there's a lot going on, largely our own making, because we haven't been changing with the times. However, I, I do think we may see some real clarity at the national level of what exactly we're regulating and why, and maybe some more active participation in the conference level. Um, but we've grown up in a system where if you have an issue, one of your 32 Division One conferences doesn't like how many pages are in the media guide. They submit a proposal that gets passed and becomes rules, national governing principles. And, you know, it's a really bottom up, very um, uh, individually centric rulemaking, whereas I think we're trying to flip the model and really look at the national office and what do they regulate and why, what should the regulation be, and then and think about it holistically from the top down, which honestly I think is a good thing. Do you think that's going to add more to your workload as a conference commissioner and that those of your staff as well? You know, I, I'm not sure. I think maybe, but I don't think to the degree that it would be a tsunami hitting our office. Now, I could be wrong, but that example of the pages in the media guide, you know, that's not something if we, if we didn't regulate it at the national level, I don't know that we would make a regulation at the WCC. And so, you know, anything we would do at the conference might limit us competitively with our colleagues, might not be a national rule, and it might not be fit to be a conference rule either. So it might actually thin out our rule book a little bit. No doubt there will be some things that we need to take very, very seriously that aren't of the ilk of pages in a media guide, um, but we could and would be prepared to do that. Jim, I got to imagine you're keeping your eyes on this as well. <clears throat> you know, you're in a conference that's considered not a power five conference. It feels like a seventh grade dance sometimes. 
What are you keeping your eyes on in this as this transformation unfolds? If I could change that slightly in terms of what, what I'm thinking about with regard to it, I guess would be, uh, I'm thinking about how the public perceives the NCAA. We've lost trust. Uh, I actually am now hopeful about the future of the NCAA, more so than I was a year ago. As you know, Gloria and I are deeply involved at the national level. Gloria served both on the Constitution Committee and she now serves on the Transformation Committee. I serve on the Board of Governors, the one Board of Directors and so forth. Lots of topics. I think there are a couple misconceptions out there. One is that people believe that the Power Five uh, are this um, homogeneous group of schools that believe in the same thing and want the same thing for the NCAA and within the same role. It's not true. Uh, each conference is different, and Gloria can speak to her experience with those commissioners, but each conference is different, and each school is different. And it's and my experience as a president over the years has been that institutions often move in the direction that the president wants them to go and their aspirations for that institution, who they affiliate with, and so forth. I have hope, and I don't think we're all that different, and in many ways, when I've spoken to commissioners of some of the, the larger, these Power Five uh, uh, conferences, they actually see the advantage of being in a place like a WCC. And I think we probably get it right in many ways. You know, they're the student's experience, a uh, student athlete's experience is first as a student and then trying to be, and, and we compete at a national level. I mean, so people will say, well, you're not a power five. Well, listen, we've had national champion teams in the last few years, more than one. We've had teams that have competed for the national championship, basketball being the highest profile two years, two years ago with Gonzaga. So I, I think we're competing at a very high level athletically, but we also put the student athlete. The thing I'm thinking about is how do we make sure that the student athlete, that the focus of the NCAA is on primarily on the student athlete's experience. You know, forget about all the coaches and everything else that we're talking about here. What is it that we're trying to accomplish here with our student athletes, right? A great experience as an athlete that helps form them into compassionate citizens, to individuals who know how to be responsible citizens in our society, like that old, that old um, advertisement for the uh, NCAA, 98% of them are not gonna go to pro sports. And so there's, there's so much good with the NCAA, so many things happening at our campuses that get lost in this conversation. And I think we need to build that trust. I think the presidents are, are together on trying to, I believe we're all here to really make our, our association be successful and primarily to make it successful for those student athletes. Speaking about student athletes, how do you know that they're having a successful, good experience as you envision it? Well, I think, and I'll let Gloria answer that as well. I think it's about whether they're thriving, not just the number. So you can look at, well, are the graduation rates uh, where they should be? Are student, and there's so many complex issues now with the transfer portal. Uh, are you held accountable as an institution? Because I, I just heard of a student athlete who will be at, uh, I think, their fourth institution in five years. Uh, I don't know that an institution could be accountable for that individual. Uh, but I do think it's about whether they're thriving. Are they having, I mean, there's so many mental health issues on campuses outside of athletics. It manifests, we saw what happened in the pressure that some student athletes have. Unfortunately, that it was suicide and some other things that were high profile. Um, I think we have to look at that as whether or not we're being successful. And on that measurement, American higher education is failing. I think that we have to do more for the mental health of our students and student athletes are not exempt from that. So I don't know, Gloria, what are your thoughts? 
I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I would add, you know, once all those bases are covered, winning, you know, as a former student athlete, winning is really what student athletes are striving for and achieving. And that's what I love about the West Coast Conference is, you know, we have the same issues and struggles as the other leagues. And we are part of the what folks call mid-major, but we still provide great experiences and our teams compete nationally. It makes sense. And it, yet it's still so hard sometimes to articulate why people should understand there are nuances across, even as Jim, you said, inside of the Power Five conferences themselves. Um, Jim, my last question for you is, as a former Division Three president, how has your transition to the presidency been to a Division One institution? What's that been like? Hmm. Well, well, obviously, Division One has greater profile, more attention to it. So we were caught in a couple problems ourselves. So, for example, the Varsity Blues scandal hit our campus uh, based on a coach who acted unethically and no longer a member of our coaching staff, obviously. Uh, so it's a little higher profile. I think if that same thing had happened at the division three level, it wouldn't have reached the national conversation and wouldn't have had, uh, wouldn't reach the halls of Congress, for example, on how they might want to try to remedy those kinds of problems. So I think it's more of a, a you're, you're a higher national profile positions when you're in institutions like the WCC institutions. The commitment, however, to student athlete success and thriving student athletes is the same. I think my 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 colleagues who were in Division Three that I worked with very closely, and we had some great relationships there in the schools that I served, and also in the conferences that we were in. It's all about the student athletes, and I find that same sense of concern in the WCC and also at the NCAA level. I work with a number of Power Five presidents at the NCAA level. They are, they too are concerned about mental health. They want to win, they want to be successful, but they really are concerned about the same issues. I don't find it that different in terms of the presidential commitment. It might take more time, it might be a higher profile. And now with social media, and there has been a difference Karen, in seven years in social media that has changed all of it. So uh, it's kind of hard to discern whether or not that was division three or was just fact that everything's so public at this point. But I think that commitment is still there. So I, I haven't found it that different or that difficult to transition to division one. There are people who, uh, there are boosters and donors and others who might feel very strongly about a particular sport uh, that uh, we might need that support in order for our athletic programs to be successful. It might be a little bit different than Division Three, but not so much. Well, listen, last comments on the Russell Rule and what kinds of takeaways your colleagues might want to consider adding it to their conference. Gloria, I'll start with you. <clears throat> You know, I have had a lot of inquiries about what we're doing and how it works, and it is complex and nuanced underneath when you lift up the hood and look at what our policy is. But I am happy to speak to anyone, share information, share data collection sheet templates and that type of thing. Um, and just, you know, hope this gets legs because it's really been a positive thing for us. Terrific. Jim, any last comments? I would say the we, it starts with the commissioner and with the presidents, and they have to take responsibility for this. It's not enough to give lip service to this work, and it is truly to build that culture within the conference that then trickles down to the uh, institutions or maybe 
moves up from the institutions to the conference as a, as a whole and holding each other accountable. We had an interesting conversation last week in our conference meetings with the athletic directors and senior women athletic administrators and uh, faculty athletic reps. And part of the conversation is we believe that as a conference, we would hold each other accountable for some of these level two and level three violations. If you had to, if, if, if the NCAA chose to only focus on really big issues, which we think is where they should be, uh, we think we would hold each other accountable as a conference. And I believe, and I have faith in the other presidents that the other conferences would do the same. Uh, there are people who don't, but I think that they're well-intentioned individuals out there. And I think people do want to see, I, I could see in other conferences adopting the Russell rule. And they should. I think it's a. I think the WCC does it well. And again, it's thanks to our great commissioner and the, the vision and leadership that she provides. Well, Jim and Gloria, I really want to thank you both for joining me on the podcast today. This has been a fascinating discussion. We could talk about it for another thirty minutes, but Gloria, I know you're traveling, and Jim, you're about to travel, so I really appreciate you uh, squeezing us in on this day. Thank you both very much. Well, thanks for focusing on this and writing about this topic and helping next generation of leaders. Thank you.